0: Uh You know, moms. We're going to talk about moms and women today, but we're going to relate the passage as it's intended to be related to every believer in the room. But uh, moms certainly speak a special language, and uh, um, when I say special, I mean more ways than one. Bobby, I mean, I saw Bobby uh, rear her kids just a couple of doors down from us, and you did a really nice job, Bobby, with those those kids. But uh, just to warm up your capacity for abstract thinking here on Mother's Day, uh, I've got the mom meaning of three key terms that they will use. First one is bottle feeding. Uh, Bottle feeding is an excellent reason for daddy, not mommy, to get up at 2 a.m. Can I hear an amen on that? Full name is what you call your child only when you are extremely mad at him or her. And uh, you know, one of our grandchildren is uh, Peter Grant McCoy, and apparently, when Mom gets really mad at Peter, she calls him Peter Grant McCoy, and uh, so uh, he picked up on that as a two-year-old. He's three-year now, and one time he got really mad at his mother, and he said, "Mommy Grant McCoy, come here." <laughs> so he understood when you get mad at somebody, you put Grant McCoy at the end of their name. So they are they are listening, you know. And then a show-off is any child who in any area, from sports to school, is even slightly more talented than your kid. That's that's a show-off. <laughs> uh, we all know that. And you also find out, uh, you know, we've been blessed with seven grandkids now, and uh, our kids are all grown up and gone. But uh, you tend to think, uh, I know the Digs know this, once they grow up and go to college and become great people, uh, you're not as attached to them you're just as attached and somebody said you're only as happy and I make a distinction biblically between joy and happiness but you're only as a parent no matter what age you are and they are right Pam you're only as happy as your least happy child and uh, that's just the way it works uh, never never stops but it's a terrific thing we're going to be looking at the, uh, the last part of the epilogue of the book of Proverbs as we look at uh, 31 10 through 31 today uh, and in many ways, this is the most important part of the book, and it's amazing. And this countercultural—here we are in uh, 1000 BCE—counterculturally, uh, this doesn't this doesn't help Solomon in any way with anybody to extol women and womanhood and wisdom in women, because uh, that sounds very nice to us and very appropriate and obviously very biblical to us. But in that culture, it would have been very uh, controversial to focus. This ultimate book on wisdom, which is living skillfully with your Savior in the center of your the pie chart of your life. That's what wisdom is. It's not Bible trivia, and it's not IQ. It's skill in living uh, to honor God, to love other people, and to love Him. So we're at a very strategic point in the book when we read the very first verse, which says, and I'm working off the New American Standard Bible, an excellent wife and really... That word uh, isha means woman, and I think some translations will say women or an excellent woman. Some will say wife, but I think here obviously we're not just talking about a wife. We're talking about someone who uh, it could well be a wife, in, in, in a sense that we're using this as an ideal, she's assumed to be a wife. But I think it's a much better translation to do it uh, in the more normal use of the term: uh, an excellent woman who can find. That's a rhetorical question. Uh, her worth is far above jewels or rubies, it can't be translated. Uh, a rhetorical question is when you ask a question but you're not expecting an answer, you're trying to make a statement by making a question. Somebody might say, uh, uh, who's a better example of faith than Ruth in the Bible? And the obvious answer is you really can't find a better one, can you? Who's a better example of courage in the Bible than Rahab? To stand up against all those Canaanites? You know? It's amazing. Who's a better champion golfer than Jack Nicholas? Somebody says that. They mean, obviously, you can't think of anybody better. Tiger Woods at his best even, uh, didn't achieve what Jack did. So an excellent woman who can find, what he's saying is, this type of person is like one in a million. And she's relatively rare. And without trying to make points with any of you, but if I can make points with any of you, I'm glad to do it because I quite often need extra points. Uh, but uh, I think we've got a lot of outstanding women in our church that uh, fit many of these qualities. But let me emphasize, uh, this is a rhetorical question saying, you're not going to find this kind of person everywhere, all over the place. She's in a distinct minority. And then he says her worth, her value, is far above any physical, financial a benefit a person would have or even their external looks or what neighborhood they drive in or how many college degrees they've got or what prestigious job title or whatever they've got. We're looking at people's character and this kind of person has unique greatness which isn't, uh, common and never will be. So you might say this kind of person is extremely rare and this kind of person is extremely worthwhile to her family, uh, her husband specifically, to her children specifically, to her community, to her church, uh, to everything she's involved in. She makes it a better thing because she's involved in it. Now, I think most commentators will stress, and I agree with them, that this description of the ideal person as a godly woman is a composite picture. I don't think that Solomon here, uh, I think Lemuel is a pseudonym for Solomon, um, is thinking of one specific person. I think he's thinking about a composite picture of what an ideal woman looks like, and he describes her in many different roles. Uh, and it would be rare for any one woman to be in all those roles. But he's describing her as an ideal, as kind of wisdom personified. Uh, and in that sense, what uh, much of what's said here applies to somebody like Jan Palavic, but it all also applies either to continue to do or to start doing for Mike Palavic because you just. Use her as an analogy, an analogous example. What does that mean? Well, when uh, we read about the fact that the ideal person is a delightful wife if she's married, and in that culture, just about all women were married, so you can almost assume that delightful wife devoted to her husband. How would uh, Homer relate to that? Well, that would mean he should appreciate his delightful wife who's devoted to him in his marriage, their marriage. But it really is saying he should be. Um, if it's possible for a man to be a delightful husband, and I'm, I'm pretty dutiful as a husband. I'm not sure I'm very delightful. But uh, by analogy, uh, the overlapping kind of roles that men and women play, described here from the feminine angle, would apply directly to all of us too if you followed that. okay? So it's not just saying I'm going to describe what the ideal person looks like. It's a woman and men can never become ideal people spiritually. We can in our analogous roles. So that's what I'm trying to say, okay? So, uh, yeah, we've got verse 10 which is kind of like an umbrella this person is extremely rare, extremely beneficial uh as a witness, as a mother, as a wife, etc. And then it breaks down into who she is and how she should be seen, okay? She's a delightful wife if she's married, she's a dependable individual in all kinds of different areas. She's a devoted mother if she's had the joy of having children, and she's a devout believer. That's who she is, and that's who God wants me to be. Not a delightful wife, but a husband, dependable, father, devout believer. So these all relate to all of us. And then how she should be seen by her family. And one cool thing about Mother's Day is it emphasizes we need to preach at our mothers. This reminds us. Uh, My mother you know, used to joking around when I was a kid. She'd throw the card at me being funny. Again, see, she's she's funny, like I'm funny, not very funny, but I I get her humor. She said, "If you got to if you if you need a national holiday to tell you to appreciate me, and I don't need it, you know." She's kidding, of course. As we were going to Golden Corral, um, uh, so how she should be seen by her family and by DVP, Divine Viewpoint Believers. The world may denigrate motherhood. They may think, uh, the baby in the womb is just kind of, uh, a parasite that can be done with, uh, at your whim. But, uh, those of us who understand the, uh, the sanctity of life and the idea of, uh, the image of God, the imago Dei in every individual, no matter what color, country, culture, regardless of physical challenges or, uh, socioeconomic level, uh, we should appreciate uh, godly mothers, godly, righteous, uh, wise mothers. Okay, So that's kind of the a survey of the passage. Now let's look at uh, who she is in her character. And what I've done here, uh, I'm not going to go verse by verse like I normally do. I, I've broken this section, who she is in her character, down into four areas, as I've said just a moment ago. If she's married, she's a delightful wife devoted to her husband in marriage. Uh, she's a dependable individual and a willing worker in all kinds of areas, not just at church events, not just at work if she works outside the home, not just at home, which is where her heart will always be. She's a devoted mother if she's been blessed to have children, who disciples her children in the faith. And she, at her core, is a devout believer who lives a life of divine viewpoint wisdom. So we're going to work through those four categories, and I'll um, look at, specific verses in this passage that reinforce those ideas. That's what we're going to try to do today if we'll let me do that. So let's look at that first one. If she's married, and again, in in Solomon's day, just about all women had to be married, just economically, and that's the way the whole culture took care of people That they're in family units. We didn't depend on the federal government to send us checks and stuff like that. Uh, If married, she's a delightful wife devoted to her husband, as a person devoted to her marriage as an entity. Look at verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her because she's trustworthy. And he will have no lack of gain. He, She won't break his heart because she's got secrets or doing things she shouldn't do or under the table. Uh, Verse 12. She does him good tov, which in in Hebrew means functional, complete, uh, appropriate, and not evil all the days of her life which doesn't mean she lives uh, a sinlessly uh, perfected life but uh, her heart is always in his looking out for his best interest and the best interest of the marriage uh, she's trustworthy she's consistent which means among other things she doesn't push selfish agendas now I learned out a long time ago that's not my wife just left I hope I'm not in trouble already but uh, what did I just say I take it back Uh you know, wives, women have certain uh, antennae that pick up things that men just don't. And I remember when I first went into ministry, you know, I was just really idealistic in Shreveport, Louisiana, Fellowship Bible Church. And, and I love the Lord so much. I love the Word so much. I want to teach this thing clearly. Apply it. Go into detail. Not give you chicken McNuggets. Give you the whole banana, you know. And I just thought, hey, everybody who loves the Lord and loves the Word is going to love me just because I'm just so committed to this, you know. And it didn't take long to find out some people didn't, didn't even like me, you know? Uh, and they seemed to love the Lord, but they didn't like me. So, uh, you know, my wife picked up on stuff like that a lot faster than I did. Uh, and I probably should have known that even just candidating toward the end of our career at Dallas Seminary. Uh, I, I remember one instance where a board from a particular church in East Texas came to Dallas Seminary and they interviewed a bunch of us students, but we were just one of many. And this was a, not going to be a good situation, uh, as it turned out, and we didn't really pr- proceed with them at all. But I remember, based on it, the, be- before they asked those odd questions to Debbie at the end of the interview, I was thinking this is going to be a great opportunity. I, I hope we-, we at least get to go preach out there. And uh, after I debriefed Debbie later, she said, "Man, I could tell from within five seconds these people were were bad news." I said, "Really?" And what, what tipped their hand, I picked up on it at the end of the interview, after they kind of talked to me for 30 minutes and never even looked at Debbie, <laughs> much less acknowledged her in the room. Can you believe this? They look at me at the end and say, can she work? Now usually they ask, can she play the piano? They used to say that. Can she work? Which I, at that point I realized we're in trouble. I, I, suddenly I realized we're in trouble. Don't ask her. And she's also pregnant you know, at the time, but, uh, could she work? And I realized, I thought, they're not going to pay me enough to be able to support my family. So they want to make sure that she's going to get a job. <laughs> and I thought, ugh, you know, that's the end of it. So I walked out of there kind of bummed out. And then when I talked to Debbie, she'd seen that 30 minutes earlier. So, uh, I think it's important for husbands, even sometimes when they tell us stuff we don't want to hear, uh, to give it a, a thorough review, because quite often they pick up on things we don't pick up. But for sure the ideal wise wife is always looking out for the best uh for the husband's best interest and the best interest of the marriage she does him good she doesn't tove not evil all the days of her life so she's trustworthy consistent uh she never stops working to build up the husband and the marriage and uh, Dr. Willard Harley one of the best uh books you can read for your marriage like uh, we change the oil in our car like every 5000 miles right I guess if you get synthetic oil, you can go what, longer than that, you know. So if you're around here much, it's like being on synthetic oil. You probably you don't have to go change the oil as much. But uh, uh, Dr. Willard Harley wrote his needs, her needs, and and I, I love the uh, the love and respect series. It's fantastic. It's first rate. But uh, my first love on that area is love is uh, his needs, her needs by Harley. Now, how are you gonna remember that, Natalie? Think about this. You guys are gonna get on a motorcycle and go into a beautiful. A uh, romantic uh, encounter down the road after a nice meal, and you're on a motorcycle. Picture that, and uh, you're not driving. Okay, you're not you're you're in the back. Okay, but you're on a Harley Davidson motorcycle. So that's Doctor Willard Harley. Now you remember Doctor Harley, and his knees, her needs, the name of the book, and he talks about the fact that women, uh, righteous women, really get what marriage is involved it really involves a lot more than men do we kind of kind of figure it out by experience the pastor debriefs us in the premarital counseling and he describes it for him. but until they actually get into it and realize it's not a 50-50 proposition it's a 100% 100% position and i always thought like if you put God at the top of the pyramid and the husband's at one corner and watch at another corner as long as you guys are growing spiritually you're going to be closer to God you're going to be growing closer to one another uh, I think a lot of Christian wives get frustrated with their husbands when they see no movement at all spiritually. Uh, I think women tend to have a more sensitive spirituality than men do as a general rule. And I am a man. I've got XY chromosomes, so I'm not anti-man when I say that. Uh, so I don't think wives expect us to have all the spiritual sensitivity they've got in every area. But if we're showing no movement whatever spiritually and showing no initiative and in leading our family and things like prayer and coming to church and doing the right things, not lying about our fishing licenses or whatever you tend to want to do, uh, you know, uh, and then cover up later. Uh, I think they'll, they'll they're will they happy to see us and love us if we're making some kind of movement. And this includes me and James in the ministry. And we're professional Christians, but we're also disciples and believers too. Uh, and I think it can really frustrate uh, women who are told to respect their husbands when they see no signs of life, vitality in the spiritual life is really hurtful for them and very painful for them it's hard for them to do the right thing after that. So please be aware of that, husbands. It's important in a lot of reasons you're doing the right thing. Uh, Harley in his book talks about five things that typically husbands need and really crave in a marriage. And five things that wives typically need and crave in a marriage. And since we're trying to apply this passage, not just to women, but also to men, not just to wives, but to husbands who can't be married, uh, according to Dr. Harley's experience, baptized through a biblical grid, he says that delightful wives give husbands what they want and need, which includes affection, recreational companionship, doing things together you both find fun, outside of the home and the bedroom. Uh, trust, he wants to be able to trust her attitude and her appearance rather than dressing for your friends. You need to dress for your husband. If I'm a male chauvinist pig, I'm going down fighting on that one because it's true. Uh, husbands want wives to promote order in the home, promote o- order in the nest, and they want uh, their wife to be their number one fan and cheerleader. You don't want the next door neighbor lady to be your husband's number one cheerleader. You don't want that. Okay? It's not a good thing. And that sweet young thing that works for your your husband's administrative assistant who thinks he can do no wrong and you know a lot better than that. You know, she gets, uh, where she's putting more deposits in his rel- relational bank because she affirms everything he does and, and wife doesn't appreciate it very much and doesn't verbalize it. That's not a good equation. You don't want to do that. Now, wives, let's flip it around. A delightful husband according to this christian psychologist uh says that wives also need affirmation and he says in order to affirm your wife you got to find out the kind of things that are important to them to her not to them just one at a time uh and make the things that are important to your, hu- to your wife really important to you like maybe it's going to a movie maybe it's going to uh, a museum maybe it's uh, uh you know we're pretty boring i mean uh, Whether I want to go to Walmart or not, I pretty much follow her around Walmart because in the back of my mind I'm thinking she really wants me to be there. Which I could be wrong on that. Uh, We probably need to talk later about that. Uh, Which brings me to the second thing Harley says we need, husbands need to give their wives conversation. You know, they they want us not to fix their problems necessarily, but to know how we feel about, how they feel about our problems. And that may take a while, depending on what kind of problems I'm dealing with. our wives want to trust in our transparency and our fidelity, and they don't want to have secrets, uh, that they don't know about, uh, which means not just with the secretary and stuff, but I mean like, Steve, if you decide you see a, a great deal on a bass boat, it's only going to cost like $17,000, uh, you better talk to her about it before you buy the bass boat. Don't just bring it in and try to talk her into it, you know, uh, and then act, a provision of a home, provision of a nest, and active family commitment. Your wife wants you to have hands-on with the child-rearing, not just uh, kind of watching her do 99% of the work, right? So that's her character. Uh, she, if she's married, she's a delightful wife, devoted to her husband in marriage. There's certain principles here that are firm, that relate not just to wives but to husbands. Second thing about her character that's really stressed here, is that she's dependable and she's a willing worker. She's actively involved in her world in a wide variety of areas. And again, Amanda, I, I see this as a composite. We're describing this ideal person in a lot of different roles such that it'd be rare to have one person that does all these things necessarily. Uh, if uh, this is a uh, subsistence culture, so you'd have to be pretty well off to have servant girls that you're making sure are fed before you get fed in the morning. Not everybody has servant girls or a maid or somebody to clean your house, but some people do, then and now. So uh, realize that, that we're talking about all kinds of different roles that an ideal person like this will plug into and uh, make work very, very well. Look at verses 13 through uh, 19. Uh, she looks for wool and flax. She works with the... Her hands with the light, she is able to make her own clothing, which doesn't mean that if you're not making your own clothing and or you don't look like you just got off a stagecoach, you can't be spiritual. You know, some people don't mow their grass anymore. I'm, I'm personally, I'm going to be pushing that lawnmower as long as I can walk because I enjoy it. It's therapy. It's one thing I do every week that nobody complains about and actually has a beginning, middle, and an end. Nothing I do ever has a beginning, middle, and an end. It just goes on forever. So I'm, I'm happy to mow grass if the thing will start. If it doesn't start, I can't fix stuff, so i got to get Jack Smith to make it start for me. But, uh, yes, yeah, this doesn't mean you've got to make your own clothes, but it does mean you need to be a good shopper. So shopping is in the Bible. It's going to say several things here that say that this idea person is a good shopper, and she gets good quality stuff, but she also makes sure she gets a good deal on it. Uh, she's like a merchant ship. Now, some of you think, yeah, like a merchant ship. Yeah, no, it doesn't mean that. It means she's willing... Uh, and I kind of do this in my family. I'm so cheap. I don't buy Scotch tape, you know, at a Dollar Tree until I go to the dollar store to make sure there's not, you know, a little bit different. But uh, Debbie's really good at that, unless less to an extreme. She's good. at She's a very good bargain hunter, uh, and so she's willing to go all the way to, you know, South Duncan to get a better deal at uh, the grocery store there, as opposed to buying all your stuff at Walmart necessarily. She rises also early while still night. Early in the morning, she's probably the first one up, and anybody. Stephanie, can you relate to that? You know, that happens when you got little kids for sure. Gives food to her household, including portions to her maidens. Now, this is an ideal person in in this statement. Somebody who, even if they're rich and famous and well off, is still considerate of the help. Okay, this doesn't mean everybody can afford help or has hired help or whatever in those roles. Uh, now, watch this. Talking about. If, if you weren't royalty, you, as a woman in this culture, you, no way you would have your own business on the side. But Solomon feels like that's a possibility for some women, and if they do it, they do it well. Think of all the things Shauna does, and all the skills she's got as a graphic designer, stuff like that. She gave us two new rooms, not really, but she took the, actually three, both nursery rooms and Maxine's, uh, office look like different rooms, look bigger, look cleaner, look nicer because she's got those kind of talents in addition to many other things. But, uh, yeah, here it says, verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. So she does investments. She's savvy about stuff like that. Uh, from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Now, some of you say, I don't care about uh, stocks and bonds and buying stuff. That's okay. This is an idealized composite. Maybe that's not your thing, and maybe your husband doesn't do it either. That's why they've got the financial advisors, right? Uh, or uh, uh, who's the guy there with the charge of the mutual funds, uh, Charles Schwab, you know? I don't know him personally, but... Uh, verse 17, this sounds like you're working out with uh, heavy weights in the gym, but it doesn't really mean that. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. And I know some of you think, well, I don't like that mus- muscled look, you know, like those women bodybuilders have. Uh, this is saying that she takes care of herself, she stays reasonably fit, she's able to touch the bases she needs to touch... Uh, because she realizes her body uh, is a temple. Now this week I heard uh, Pam was bragging on Homer uh, talking about he sees his body as a temple and when he's counting those calories he's very, very careful. So good job on that, Homer. He also gets up at 5 in the morning and walks around the neighborhood just to make sure I'm not doing anything weird at 5 in the morning because he lives right down the street from me. I'm, I'm asleep at 5 o'clock in the morning unless we've got an early surgery somewhere. That's the only reason I'd be up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh she senses that her gain is good. That's a metonymy effect for cause. She realizes that the effort she makes to do good for her family and in her world is inherently a good thing on itself. Do everything as unto the Lord kind of thing. And it says her lamp does not go out at night. That means she sleeps with a night light, right? No. Uh, you know what? I don't think this is a physical thing. I think it's talking about kind of the glow of her spirituality, of her moral character doesn't stop. And, and for sure, it, it means if she works at a school like Debbie does. A few years ago, they got a punch clock at Horace man where you, all the staff and faculty have to actually punch in to a clock. Uh, and she's there before 7.30 when she's supposed to be there. And uh, she's supposed to punch out at 4, but sometimes... She, she's kind of like some people I know around here. They've got to be the last one to leave because sometimes the doors don't get locked or the kids are still there or the teacher's looking for something and whatever. And she's the last one to leave most days with very rare exceptions. So I'm bragging on her because, trust me, I do need the points with her. Uh, you know that. Uh, verse 19, She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. Now that's personally one of my favorite verses in the Bible because that just... It just warms my heart when I read that she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. What does what does that mean? Well, the uh, the distaff was the rod on a spinning wheel that held the raw wool, and uh, the spindle was the stick that took up the spun wool into thread. So we're talking about her working with a spinning wheel in order to produce thread and thread and fabric. So she is somebody who gets her hands dirty. Today we'd say she rolls up her sleeves kind of thing. So this is a dependable, hardworking person. She's actively involved in her world in a wide variety of areas, some of which are mentioned here, some of which may not relate to you directly, but uh, we need to have that same kind of character to whatever we are called to do and able to do. Verse 20, she's concerned about others less fortunate than she. Verse 20, this is really important. And you see this in women more than men. A lot of times we're kind of uh, harder hearted, But uh, really godly women, regardless of their social economic status, even if they've got a lot of money and a lot of prerogatives, are concerned about people less well-off than she is. She extends her hands to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. And you think about, uh, I don't know, kindred community, working with widows. You think about... Uh, Link One Mentors, dealing with head, headed by a woman uh, Carol Wanzer, that takes care tries to meet some needs with kids that aren't necessarily getting, in most cases, the fatherhood they need at home. In some cases it's bad mothers. Uh, you think about, judge uh, something else here. Gabriel's House, uh, you know, Bonnie and Carla were kind of the catalyst for that for many years. Uh, you think of Spokes for Hope. Uh, you think of Salvation Army at an international level. Uh, a lot of great women have been at the heart of those organizations and in, in many other, other ways, too. I mean, think of several people I'm looking at right now that have seen a particular needs for people in the church that men probably wouldn't have noticed and they've taken initiative to kind of help with that, which is a beautiful thing. That's exactly the way it should work. I think too often people see something that needs to be done and they drop it on James' desk or my desk, and now because i got a passion for it, I'm supposed to have a passion for it, and I admit it's a need, but it's a little bit like what happened with the apostles in Acts 6. Remember we had a problem with the food distribution for the widows, and some of the people saw that and said, Apostles, you've got to fix it. You've got to stop everything, and you do it. And they said, you know, we need to do that as a group, but we can't do that. We're doing these other things that are also important and we're already committed to, so let's figure out some people, and that's where you get the first deacons in Acts 6. There's a legitimate need there, but rather than making the apostles do that specific thing, specific thing, they organized so that the, the deacons in that case actually took care of the need. So uh, I love it when that happens. And I think this church is extremely generous when people see legitimate needs that need to be met. I'm, talking, I'm talking about physical needs, okay, financial needs that are legitimate, need to be met, uh, that the elders may not know about. But once we get uh, informed about them, I think we pray about it, but I think this group has been very, very generous with those kind of things. But we're not necessarily the ones that actually carry the ball over the goal line. Quite often it's the person that sees it and is passionate about it, who needs to be the facilitator, and uh, we will help with uh, some of the other uh, wherewithal behind all of that. Right? Uh, so she's concerned about people less well often. She doesn't look down her nose at people who don't have as big a house or nice a car or nice as clothes as she does. Uh, here's one of my favorites. Verse 22. She dress, dresses attractively and appropriately. Uh, she makes coverings for herself, which, again, most of us probably don't have time to make our own clothes. Uh, her clothing, though, is fine linen and purple. She really looks nice and stylish. You don't have to look like you just got off a of stagecoach to be spiritual. I know some people are into that, and I respect those convictions. But I, I think it does us more harm than good. People tend to, in the culture, think we're weird enough as it is without us kind of going, you know, making a big deal about stuff that doesn't matter. Uh, I've, I've bragged about the ladies at TBF. I, I think we've got a tremendous group of women here, uh, that are stylish and attractive in a very positive way, but they you know, they, they don't push the, the envelope there. Uh, I remember, you know, as a part-time teacher at Cameron, uh, and I think I got a, i think I actually got a promotion because they've been calling me an adjunct instructor and now one of my, uh, uh, PAFs for next fall called me a temporary assistant professor. Which actually in academic circles is really actually kind of a big deal. But I don't get, make any more money, but it's a more prestigious <laughs> title. So I'm an assistant, a temporary assistant professor. But I remember several years ago now at Cameron, I teach this eight o'clock speech class in the mornings and Tuesdays and Thursdays. I remember one semester and I'm not looking for this but I remember one semester like the first day of class everybody got up and they left and I was doing my notes and I looked up and I noticed all these gals this one they had the bare midriff look you know for a while there they didn't, didn't wear anything around here and then they started getting tattoos on the back and I, I went I mean every girl in this room you know doesn't have anything in the middle and on the back she's got these elaborate tattoos they may mean something to gang members or I don't know but uh, as a joke I'm not saying they're all gang members uh, and I thought what is the uh, and that's kind of pushing the envelope there? I mean, what is the uh, the dress code around here? And as nobody seems to know if we have a dress code at Cameron University, and, and they've got rules for everything else. Trust me, I mean, just unbelievable books full of rules and stuff. And I, I don't think they've got a dress code. But uh, it was funny because that was a problem for like two semesters. I thought kind of getting too far beyond. And trust me, our director Susan Camp is. Just like most of you ladies. I mean, just really, really a nice person, attractive, very stylish, but she didn't push that envelope at all. Uh, and then suddenly it just kind of went away. I mean, that whole thing went away, and they started kind of wearing their pajamas. And I'm not talking about lingerie. I'm talking about uh, real... <laughs> Real, like big oversized T-shirts and and flat, you know big old sweatpants and stuff and that's what they that's what they walk in at eight o'clock in the morning and they just go straight from sleeping in here <laughs> so it's, it covers everything up you know so it's not a problem but uh, I do think it's important for uh, uh, as much as possible you know as the old the Puritan preacher said you know ladies of the barn needs painting you better paint it you know and uh, I think that the Christian women can look stylish and attractive without pushing the envelope there if you know what I mean I think you probably do uh, she has a great business sense look at verse 24 uh, she makes linen garments sells them and supplies belts to the trademen, uh, tradesmen now this reminds me of my daughter-in-law Candace You know, we've got Jamie and Kristen and then Jonathan the old, second son the younger son and his uh, wife Candace and for some reason, they weren't busy enough with two sets of twins. Actually, this is before they... Was this before they had twins they started Love Well or right after the first set came? Between, Between them, yeah. Well, anyway, I guess after Lincoln and Vivian showed up, Candace felt like there was a missing niche in uh, children's clothing, especially for Oklahoma Christian children. Because <laughs> that's the theme, Oklahoma and Christian. Uh, and it's called Love Well. If you need to buy... Uh, you know, Matt, not that you probably need to buy a lot of baby clothes, but if you have a, you know, maybe for, uh, your brother's uh, children and stuff, uh, if you want to buy some stuff, go to Lovewell, just Google it, uh, you know, Jonathan McCoy, Candace McCoy, and, uh, 5% of everything you buy from them goes to Christian organizations to help dig uh, water wells in Africa and places like that, uh, to support that. But I kind of, when I read that, I kind of was thinking of, uh, Candace, uh, working late at night, not with a spinning wheel, but with a sewing machine. Now that's kind of farmed some of that out as I've gotten bigger, but she still does a lot of, a lot of that hands-on stuff for sure. So this is a dependable, uh, individual who's a hard worker, not lazy. Uh, notice she invests her money wisely. Go back to 16. Uh, considers a field, buys it, cash, Dave Ramsey, because she's saved up the money. You know, there's one, one good lesson to learn about money, and I don't know that much about money, but uh, you know, if you don't have enough money to buy something, you can't afford it yet. Okay? So just save up until you can buy it. Buy it used and invest the difference in all that stuff. Or buy term and invest the difference, whatever they said there. Uh, let's go to my favorite personal one here. She sees flax and she's considering a field and she makes garments. But let's look at the third, uh, characteristic, character trait of this ideal person. Devoted mother for husbands. Wolfgang just flipped that. You're devoted father, so you're right there. And, uh, you know, I had several pictures I was going to show of, of people near and dear to me, but I thought you might be tired of me showing you Jamie or Jonathan or whatever. So I just picked this. And these are people I don't know. I think they're, she's probably a model and doesn't even like kids, but she looks good in that picture. So I just thought that was a nice picture of a mother. I don't know her personally or the kids. But uh, the ideal person, if she's married, if she has children uh is a devoted mother who disciplines her children in the faith and serves her family she rises early gives food to her household and moms do that i mean and one reason i would never ever look crosswise at anybody who comes to church late i've never even bring it up is because especially if you have kids this is the way i, mean, I you know i'm a preacher so i'd leave an hour before my family are leave for church i got to be up here but Uh, I know that, uh, watching Christian families that I know of, you know, I mean, in most cases, dad doesn't participate much on Sunday mornings to get the kids ready. And you may be an exception. Okay, I don't, I don't know you yet. You may be a great exception. Uh, Tommy, I know you were probably not an exception to that, but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you know, in most Christian families, mom gets up first on Sunday morning, you know, paddles around, gets the breakfast going, wakes up the kids, uh, you know, somebody asked Debbie, do you ever wake up grumpy? And she said, no, I usually let him sleep. You know, I remember that. But uh, And some Sunday morning she has to convince me to come to church. No, I'm kidding. But uh, no, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, but, yeah, most Christian women that get up, they're the first ones up. Krista, I know you're nodding your head. You're probably the first one up. Now, you, you may be out slopping the hogs, uh, Robbie, you know, at 3 in the morning. I don't know. But if you're gonna sleep in and you're a Christian man, it's probably gonna be Sunday and you're gonna come to church at 9.30. Oh my goodness. Terrible. But, you know, you know what I mean. The women get up early, they prepare breakfast, they wake up the kid, they have to wash the kid, change the diaper, get them clean, feed them the food, change their clothes after they get their food, their clothing dirty because they just ate breakfast, and then wake up the husband, make sure he's able to come in and, and participate a little bit. So, um, you know, just showing up at all if you've got kids is an amazing thing. But if you're on time if you're on time or early you get extra points for that. I appreciate that, but not everybody can do that. But uh yeah, I mean she's uh she's serving her family. Verse fifteen. She doesn't fear older age because it's not about her looks or her appearance, it's about her relationship with God and other people. And that doesn't change as you get older, as your hair falls out, for men, for me anyway. Because uh, she's prepared for the future, both physically and, and spiritually. Verse twenty-one: She's not afraid uh, of the snow for her household, for difficulties that come. All her household uh, are clothed with scar- scarlet; they've got plenty to wear, and that she's, uh, you know, provided well for them and done some long-range planning. So, uh, no matter what happens, she's kind of got a plan. And plus, she's got, as uh, Proverbs eleven says, "When when the whirlwind passes, the, when the tornado goes by, the wicked are no more; they lose everything." But the righteous have an everlasting foundation. So as a believer, she's got that going for her as well. Uh, she uh doesn't fear older age because she's prepared for the future. Uh, and she has family uh, at the very core of her self-concept. You know, she's a believer who is primarily a wife and a mother if she's married, if she has children. She looks well uh excellently to the ways of her household and she doesn't eat the bread of idleness and it just never stops for for a great wife and a mother I mean the work never stops a mother's work is never done or a woman's work is never done that old saying I guess it's a sexist thing now to say that but it's still very very true so she's a delightful wife at marriage she's dependable hardworking, devoted as mom and at the core of who she really is a family is at the very center of who she is, but her, her being is all about being a believer in Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and she lives a life of divine viewpoint wisdom, not perfect, sinless imperfection, but a righteous direction. Uh, she's aware of and responds to God's presence in every area of her life. Uh, talking about sensing that her gain is told that her efforts are good, She's doing all the things she does, not just so her kids and her husbands will tell her, how, her husband will tell her how great she is, but to the glory of God. And so if they notice and they should, that's great. But if they don't, it doesn't matter because she's committed to them for other reasons just uh, beyond just getting warm fuzzies from them. She looks forward to the future, growing in wisdom and ultimately going to heaven. Look at verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. We talked about her wearing fancy clothes and stuff and not all of us. You know, I'm not a big uh, clothes horse either. Uh, if you look at me when I'm off duty, I'm pretty sloppy. Uh, and not too much, but a little bit. Uh, but sometimes people can't recognize me at Walmart, okay? So that's not good. Uh, put that ball cap on. Put those sweatpants on. I look good, man. Uh, nobody knows who I am. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. And you smile at the future when you get older and, and, and uh, less flexible, and uh, everything starts hurting uh, ultimately because you look at something beyond here and now for sure. And, you know, sometimes people will say the religion textbook we, we studied there, uh, Anthony, you know, at Cameron and the World Religions kind of says, well, Judaism never really believed in life after death and this and that. But, you know, that's, I think that's a bad synthesis of what the Old Testament talks about. You've got a lot of specific descriptions of life after death and heaven. And one of my favorite is in Psalm 73. Uh, who have I in heaven but you? And the psalmist is asking God rhetorically. Uh, my flesh and my heart will fail. I'm only going to live here physically for a while, but God's my strength. Strength of my heart and my portion forever. And this is Old Testament. I get that. But if the pulpit represents the life of Jesus, including His death and resurrection, here's the Old Testament believers. They're looking forward to Their faith is directed toward a promised Messiah, Savior, who's going to take care of the sin problem as the Lamb of God. We're on the New Testament side of the equation now. We look back at a provided Savior and
1: promised return. So you're always
0: living by faith, but we've got faith in a provided Savior. The Old Testament folks were looking forward to the Savior. Well, how would they know who it was, Anthony? <clears throat> well, Anthony, I could know who it was because when you look at dozens and dozens of Old Testament prophecies, you get a very explicit picture of who Jesus would be and who he was, in fact. Uh, what he would do, why he would do it, who he was, when he would come. Uh, where he would be born, etc. You have very specific promises that point to the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And because Christ died for our sins, we don't have to die in our sins. And ultimately, you can't really do uh, the latter part of verse 25, smile at the future, if you don't have something that is going to get you from Oklahoma to heaven. And uh, the resurrected Savior is the only one who can. Uh, The Bible says, for by grace are we saved. Grace means unmerited favor. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. We're going to go to, we're planning on going to Mexico in three weeks to go to a culture that's been told if they're religious enough, they can earn their way to heaven based on one organization that's big down there religiously. It's the exact same kind of premise that the Jews in Jesus' day believed. They believed that there were good enough Jews, kind of like the Pharisees, they could earn their way to heaven. And the Bible says, there's none righteous, no, not one. God doesn't grade on a curve. Uh, he grades on an absolute scale, ultimately based on the cross. And he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And so Christ is the Savior of Old Testament Believers and New Testament believers. In the Old Testament, they believed in the promised Messiah. We believe in the provided Messiah. Uh, When uh, we go to Mexico, I've told them already. You know, if you don't know what else to do, pray. And if you don't know what verse to read from in your English Spanish Bible, read John three sixteen. And Martin Luther said it's the whole gospel in a verse. And so, when the Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons come to your house, you can just deflect everything they throw at you, because whatever they're studying at the Kingdom Hall this week, they'll throw five or six things at you. But to me it's my porch. I'm going to be very friendly, but I'm going to say, hey, I don't want to talk about Ezekiel 38 and 39. I, I know about that passage. I could talk about it, but that's what they're reading in their magazine that week. I'm going to say to which which I actually said to one John's witness once, I said, uh, what must they do to be saved? And I knew that was Acts 16, 30, and I thought, as soon as I said that, I thought, oops, they've got a program answer for that. So I shouldn't ask it that way because the Bible says what must I do to be saved? Acts 16.30 The next verse says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So I thought they're going to have some kind of uh, answer to get around it. And the guy looks at me and says you've got to obey the gospel. And you know what? A lot of lay people would hear that and then say, oh, have, good, great. That's what we believe too. Have a nice day. And then they'd get on the phone and say, hey, Pastor Brad, you warned us about the Jehovah's witnesses. They believe just like we do. What do you mean? Ask them how to be saved. They say, obey the gospel. But see, I'm a theologian. Me and James, James now has a master's degree, so we're going to have to call him Master James or MJ for short. Now, Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan may not like that, but I'm going to call him MJ. If Michael Jordan is here, I'll probably just call him James. But he's not around, we'll just call him MJ for Master James. But I'm, I'm a theologian, so when the guy said, you've got to obey the gospel, I asked the next question, what do you mean by that? I'm so glad I remembered to ask that question. Because he said, you've got to obey all the laws and the commandments of the Bible. And I just, I stopped being a theologian. I just reacted. and said, you can't do that. And I can't do that either. That's why we've got to have a Savior because we're not good enough. Uh, but we're not so bad we can't have it either. That's the amazing thing about the Gospel. Talking about this ideal person who's looking forward to the future. I thought about Gene this week. Uh, the happiest people... Don't have the best of everything, they make the best of everything. You know? She was having a lot of fun that day before her surgery, and then her surgery went very very well. So we're very thankful for that. But uh yeah, look at this. Uh and this is one of my favorite things that it, it ascribes to this person. Look at verse twenty six. She opens her mouth in wisdom. Wisdom is skill in living with God at the center of your pie chart, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now I've known people, including some women, that are very sarcastic, and they can just rip you apart with their tone. And I can do that sometimes without meaning to. So I, it takes one to know one. But the ideal person is moving away from that tendency. And I need to hear this: uh, speak wisdom and the teaching of kindness, gentleness, and reverence. You know, always give an answer with gentleness and reverence, gentleness, and respect, teaching of kindness is on the tongue. Uh, especially now in our culture, which is so touchy feely and so viscerally against so much of what we believe, it's super important that we don't come across in a self-righteous, sarcastic way when we're dealing with people who want to debate things. We've got to, How we say what we say is maybe more important now than what we say. If you don't say it with the right tone, they stop listening completely. They totally lock up. And that's very hard for me. Because once somebody comes on like a, uh intellectual bully... Uh, I was never good with bullies on the playground. I only won one fight as a kid. At least I only remember winning one fight. And I'm pretty sure if I'd won more than one, I would have remembered it. You know, so I got beat up a lot in Miami, Florida growing up there. And it wasn't just the Cubans, it was the Anglos that were beating me up too. But uh it just explains some of my issues, you know. But uh so anyway, I wasn't so good with the bullies on the on the playground, but intellectual bullies, theological bullies, when I see somebody bullying somebody theologically my my instinct is just go just level you know and I used to do that 20 years ago I used to just do that every time and I've been like let that get way out of line sometimes and especially now when you're talking to people who are agnostics or atheists in an academic setting just being a smart aleck and quoting a couple verses is not good enough you got to do it the right way with the right tone um, and so I think it's important so she opens her mouth with wisdom and kindness is a big part of that and I, you know I see a lot of great moms around here and other places and they're so kind. I watch, uh, some of the, some of the interaction Kristen has with Cooper and Peter and now with, uh, Mason and Candace with two sets of twins. And there's just such this deep love and kindness you have for your own children. And, uh, it's an amazing thing to watch. It's very important. Uh, you know, I often say, uh, for every negative in the Bible, there's usually a corresponding positive using the same context. When a lot of people think about women in Proverbs, they don't think of Psalm 31 or uh, chapter 31. What they think of is some of these statements that are very negative, you know. It's better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby, complaining wife. An amen on that. But those are the kind of verses that come out. It sounds like he's targeting women. Like, uh, But again, the analogy relates to Jeff as much as it does to Sonia. It's better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby, complaining husband. Can I hear an amen for that? All you wives, is that true? Yeah, and a lot of times, like Gary Smalley used to say, he stood on this metal platform. He would say, you know, we men, Uh we kind of make fun of each other all the time. We're kind of used to that in sports and other things where we kind of go trash-talking each other. So we men on that metal platform, we might say something to our wives that we feel like and he would drop a little pebble and it would hit that metal platform, which was hollow, and he's like, dink, and we'd say something sarcastic to our wives trying to be funny, and to us it's just like, no big deal. But it sounded to them quite often, our wives, he got like a 10 pound weight and dropped it. BOOM! <laughs> you know? And a lot of times you find out there's certain areas you can talk to, to, touch on with your wife that just, you gotta be really careful going there at all, or just maybe it's better not to go at all, just let the Holy Spirit con- convict them about something like that. If you say anything, you can just really rend their hearts. You don't want to do that. It takes a long time for them to to deal with that. So those kind of statements there, you guys are wise enough readers of Proverbs know, now to know. That's not picking out women to pick on. It's, it's ta- using them as an example, as a man's point of view as he writes most of the book. But it relates to husbands just as much. Um, 27, 15, 16, A continuing dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind, the grass, oil with his right hand. It's not easy. You can't do it. You can't do a direct frontal assault on that. God's got to do it through the Spirit. But the same thing would be true for Joe. I mean, I'm sure Michelle would say a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious Joe Frank. Uh, Frank's just alike, you know. Not that you would ever do that, but uh, I do have some video, so I want to talk to you about. It. Uh, yeah, the teaching of kindness. You know, one of the most serious sins for Christians is sins of the tongue—not lying, but uh, you know, tone, and even slander and flattery. These are sins that most Christians tolerate. Slander is when you're saying negative things about someone behind their back—you'd never say to their face. Flatter, and most of us say yes. Sl- slander is a bad thing; we shouldn't do that, but we we all tend to do that a little bit sometimes. But flattery is when you're saying positive things about somebody to their face. I'm saying something, oh Jan, that was so great. Was so wonderful that you did that. I love that. Jan, you're such a great person. You're so strong here, and here and there. And as soon as she's gone, you know, I say, uh, you know, I hope she believed that because I, you know, it's always, yeah, uh, you know, when you're saying positive things to others to their face, you don't really mean that's flattery. It's okay to have a sincere appreciation. David, you better appreciate your wife, not just on Mother's Day. But every day. She's the mother of your children, man. She's your biggest fan. She's your cheerleader, okay? You gotta love that, that lady. An amazing person. But sometimes we as Christians will say things positively to people we'd never say beyond their back because we don't really believe it. And we are kind of buttering them up. So I think that's an important distinction to make. All right, who's this person? She kind of looks like that. Yeah, that's my wife's high school graduation picture. You will not see my high school graduation picture because I look like a nerd. But uh, she's a delightful wife, dependable, hard worker, devoted mother, devout believer. Uh, and what should be our reaction to her? She needs to be appreciated and affirmed. Look at that and we'll close. Her children, Jack, you doing this on a regular basis? Her children rise up and bless her. You need to verbalize how much you appreciate your mom, not just on Mother's Day, on a regular basis. Her husband, James, uh, he praises her too, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. You're my favorite. Uh, Debbie's definitely my favorite woman of the world. Uh, Raquel Welch, back in her heyday, was number two, but that's just a long time ago. I really liked Raquel Welch, you know, many years ago. I thought she was really, really cool. Uh, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. It's all going to go away, solely but surely. But a woman who fears the Lord, who has a reverential awe for God as a believer, so she orders her life around that relationship, shall be praised by God and by all divine viewpoint believers because they don't appreciate her even if she's 80 or 18. It doesn't matter. Give her the product of her hands. Let, Let her enjoy... Uh, the benefits of the things she's produced in her life and let her works praise her in the gates. The godly, righteous woman should be appreciated. Look around this room. There's a bunch of them in here. And uh, don't let Mother's Day be the one time a, a year uh, that you do that. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us to take this uh, blessing of having wonderful women in our lives, especially our wives and our mothers, uh, for granted and I, know t- I tend to definitely tend to do that too often uh, help us also to read this passage and realize even though it personifies uh, the ideal person as a female and describes her possible roles and functions this speaks uh, to Homer directly just as much to Pam uh, to Ron just as much as to Julie to Brad just as much as Debbie and uh, I do pray and encourage are godly women in this room that they're doing the right thing by centering on their love for you and loving their husbands and loving their their families and and uh, loving the people around them and loving their church and being positive change agents I'm so thankful for some of the things that uh, Carol Wanger does in our community or Jan Palavic does uh, uh, that Gabriel's house uh, Carla for so many years was integrally involved in that uh and so many other things and thank you for the way that uh people like Sonia step up, Pam Cox, uh very caring, concerned, TBF are very sensitive to especially some of the uh issues that ladies feel and deal with, Carolyn Howard, uh and uh, so thank you thank you, Father, for uh, uh those who use their skills and talents, whether they're male or female, to help other people in practical ways under the radar. Jack Smith is very good at, Deborah Smith is very good at picking up things that uh, James or I either wouldn't see or be aware of, or if we did, I couldn't do. James could probably do it, but he's busy too. And so I thank you that uh, you make a lot of people here uh, active agents of kind of the presence behind this passage. And thank you for David Yeager for putting up with the pastor that constantly breaks the, uh, the sound system here. But we thank you for each one who's here. We do know a lot of our folks are traveling or have traveled to be with their moms out of town we're thankful they've got the aptitude to do that and the ability to do that i think especially of uh andrew and savannah in the tyler texas area for a very very special 80th birthday for his grandmother and i pray that that's going well and is especially a big blessing for her today and again father we thank you for uh, the privilege we've had to be together studying your word now in christ's name we pray amen